Hello renovators, it's Bernadette here and I am recording this from our home where Stephen and I are both locked in um, like I'm sure you are too. So we head out for a walk around Moore Park each day just to stretch our legs and get a bit of exercise but it's more like Pitt Street than a park over there in the afternoons or even in the mornings. But I think with the new powers being given to the police, uh, that's probably going to change. I don't know how you are managing the lockdown, but it's definitely been quite interesting. I recorded today's episode a few weeks ago, and of course a lot has changed since then. And I deliberated as to whether... I should release it today or not and I have decided that in the interests of getting some form of normality into our lives that we will go ahead with it. In this episode I've got a very special guest in Amanda Farmer. Amanda is a strata lawyer and she's come on to the podcast to shed some light on some of the nuances of renovating a strata apartment. I think that you'll get enormous value out of it. And if you do, can I remind you that we would love you to come over to iTunes and just tell us what you are thinking about the podcast and the value that you're getting from it. That helps us to spread the love. So let's get into the episode. You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love. Okay, well, welcome back to She Renovates. And today I have a very special guest. I'm actually quite excited about this because I think today's episode is going to throw a whole lot of light on apartment renovating, which is something we love to do. And so I have Amanda Farmer, who is the owner of the Lawyers' Chambers, a strata-focused legal practice in Sydney. So she's got quite a list of uh, accolades. So I'm just going to go through those quickly. Fellow and council member of the Australian College of Strata Lawyers, founder of Women in Strata, an increasingly in-demand speaker and educator for organisations such as the Real Estate Institute, the REI's annual Women in Real Estate Conference, the Owners Corporation Network, the Australian College of Strata Lawyers and numerous local councils. She's also the host of the Your Strata Property podcast, the world's only podcast dedicated to exploring and explaining the legal complexities of strata titled properties. I am an avid listener to that podcast and I suggest to the listeners that you go to because it's amazing. So welcome, Amanda. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me on your show, Bernadette. I'm excited to be here. Awesome. Yes. I think, as I said, I think that it's going to be quite good to, I guess, shed some clarity on the whole, the legality surrounding renovating in strata buildings. Mm-hmm. And so I thought that I might get into the first question to get this rolling. Mm-hmm. And so just as I mentioned to you, we've done quite a lot of renovating in apartments in strata buildings. And my experience has been that it re- usually requires some education of the owners' corporations 
I've found that often they have no idea of what's required in terms of approvals mm. and often they get quite confused about all the documentation and are not really sure of what they're looking at. I had certainly had one experience where it had been to the, a meeting and had been rejected and I could not figure out why. So when I went to the next meeting myself, I found that they were looking at the drawings and interpreting the existing structure as new work so they weren't actually able to read the drawings so Mm. and that can prove to be a bit of a problem and but thankfully we've been able to negotiate it up to this point but I was just really wondering what avenues does a an owner have if they get rejected point blank on their renovation Yeah, really good question. So you're absolutely right. When certain renovation works are being carried out within a strata building, you do need the consent of the owner's corporation, the body corporate, and that's generally where work is affecting the common property. And as you said, work might affect the common property in different ways. You could have certain work that doesn't affect the common property at all. If you're painting, if you're replacing carpet, if you're putting in a built-in wardrobe, That's all work that our law says is purely cosmetic work and you don't need any approval to do that. On the other hand, you might be putting in an air conditioning unit, you might be renovating the kitchen, you might want to put hard flooring in. That is what our legislation in New South Wales calls minor work and then you do need to go to a general meeting of the owners corporation and you have to get a majority resolution approving that work. And then you have what we call major work and that is where we are touching waterproofing so anything to do with waterproofing anything that's going to change the external appearance of the building and anything that is going to affect the structure of the building that is major work and you're going to have to go to a general meeting and get a special resolution which is a higher threshold of approval and to put it simply it's about 75 percent of owners present at the meeting voting in favour. Now, your question, Bernadette, what do we do if we can't get that approval? Well, the reason that I've set out those three different types of renovation work is because, number one, be really clear that you actually do need approval because maybe you don't. And be really clear about the type of approval that you need because it is much easier to get minor work approved by majority vote than it is to get major work approved by a a super majority vote. And I've worked with clients before who have come to me and said, oh, Amanda, they've told me it's major work and I need to get a special resolution and I have to have a bylaw and I just can't get the votes at the general meeting. And I've looked at the work and said, you're not touching anything. You're not touching common property. You're not affixing anything to the slab. You're not affecting any waterproofing. This is not minor. This is not major. This is cosmetic work and you don't even need any approval. Go right ahead. So step one, be really clear on what kind of work you're doing. If you do need an approval and you can't get it, you uh, the owners corporation cannot unreasonably withhold approval at a meeting. So if they've done that, you actually have an avenue to apply to the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal for an order requiring the Owners Corporation to permit the work to happen. So that's your avenue. It is litigious. If you like, nobody wants to be going to the tribunal. So of course it is a last resort and you'd be doing everything that you can before you take that step to convince the owners corporation to explain to them look this is the work i'm doing as you said bernadette in your example sometimes they just don't 
understand the nature of the work. They don't know what you're impacting. They can't see exactly how it's going to affect the building, if it is at all. But that's your job, I think, as a renovator, as an owner, to be really clear with the strata committee, with the strata manager, with the owners corporation. These are the plans. This is how you read them. This is what they mean. And including, I often do for clients, some notes explaining on different parts of the plans what things are because some people read words better than they interpret pictures or plans and making very, very clear what it is that you're doing so that owners can support you in a meeting and give you the approval that you need. That's a very um, good idea. (laughs) I was thinking back to that particular time where I ended up having to interpret the plans for them. And I think the reason I hadn't done that was because the building had a facilities manager who behaved as if he had good building knowledge. But Mm. yeah, I don't think that was really the case. And thanks for clarifying those categories of renovation. It's interesting because my understanding of what constitutes common property is that basically the walls belong to the owners corporation Mm -hmm. and that anything inside the paint line belongs to the owner would that be a a yeah that is a very good description Uh, I heard others say you know if you if you turned your lot upside down and sort of tipped it out the the things that are going to fall out are going to be your lot property we have to remember that we include in there the uh, fixtures so your bathroom fixtures and your taps and your kitchen sinks and things like that your benches they are lot property, not common property, but generally anything inside of the surface of your walls, the surface of your floors, the surface of your ceilings is lot property and past that is going to be common property. We have that, that's really the legislative definition, but you must always, always look at the strata plan, the registered strata plan that shows the boundaries of lots and common property because it might be different to that. And there might be notations on the strata plan itself saying that certain parts uh, that would otherwise look like their common property or look like their lot property are actually the other. So there might be a courtyard area, there might be balconies, terraces, and you might immediately think, oh, well, that belongs to that lot. If the strata plan says otherwise, then you are guided by the strata plan. And then also the other thing you should always be looking at is the bylaws. So the registered rules that govern the day-to-day operation of the building, the bylaws might say something about who's responsible for what part of the property and then those bylaws must be complied with as well. So three things you should be thinking about, the legislative definition of lots and common property, the strata plan and the bylaws. Awesome. Thank you. That does that adds a lot of clarity. Now, my next question, actually let's talk about waterproofing mm. because that is, you know, as you said, a major renovation mm-hmm. and I think Um, there's a bit of lack of clarity with owners and renovators about what their responsibilities are there. Now, my understanding, and this is how we operate, is that when you, so up until you disturb the waterproof membrane, the original one, Mm -hmm. the responsibility for the waterproofing remains with the owner's corporation. Yep, correct. But when you go to you know, you break that, the integrity of that membrane by ripping off tiles or whatever, then you will be required to get a bylaw made up and then that, if there's not one already made, mm-hmm. and then that will transfer the responsibility over to the lot owner. Yep. Is that, is that right? 
That's right, yes. In well-functioning, well-run buildings, that's exactly what happens when an owner says to the committee, I'd like to renovate renovate my bathroom they're doing it because they you know want a lot nice shiny new bathroom maybe they're selling or maybe they've just bought in and that's their plan to increase the value of their investment they go to the committee and say i'm ripping up all the tiles and the committee says well yep sure you will need a bylaw you will need a special resolution at a general meeting because you are impacting the waterproofing and one of the conditions of our approval will be that you lay a new waterproofing membrane so that we can obviously secure the, make, ensure that the building continues to be watertight. Yeah, yeah. And like I don't have a lot of faith in the waterproofing certificates because <laughs> so I have a bit of a concern about that. And one of the things that we do to sort of help that is in stratum buildings, we actually double waterproof. Wow, good Not on you. waterproof under the bedding in the showers. So we waterproof under, then put the bedding down and then waterproof over top to make wow. We've got a really good seal, but if by some because the other thing that I what, that I hate about waterproofing is the fact that if the waterproofer is not the tiler, you know the tiler can just come along and put this their trowel through the waterproofing and break the seal. Mm-hmm. If that happens and there's a leak, and then there's a problem with the surrounding lots mm. and the owners' corporation the owner is responsible Mm. do they have the capacity to claim on the building insurance okay so when you have a bathroom renovation and you've got new waterproofing the whole point of having the bylaw and the approval recorded is to make sure that the owners corporation has shifted and i think you said this bernadette shifted all responsibility for that waterproofing, for all affected common property, for the whole bathroom renovation, the tiles, everything, has shifted responsibility for that over to the owner. And if you think about it, the owner is the one doing the work. They're the ones that are contracting with the tiler, with the waterproofer, with whoever uh, builder that you've got there doing the work for you. That, uh, That owner then has the benefit of all of the warranties that come with the work. If there is a problem, then they can sue on the warranty or they can sue on the, on the contract. So the owners corporation under the bylaw basically says, we have nothing to do with this work. We are not responsible if anything goes wrong. We are not insuring it. So when I draft bylaws, both for lot owners and when I'm looking at them for buildings, when a lot owner sends them in, I want to make very clear in the bylaw, the owners corporation offers no insurance for this work. We can't. It is not work that our contractors are doing. It's work that your contractors, the lot owners contractors are doing. And we make very clear that the lot owner themselves must insure the work and must not claim on the owner's corporation's insurance, that includes the building insurance, should anything go wrong. Now, uh, Strata Buildings have very generous building insurance policies. You might have come across that before or heard us talk about it on the podcast. Whilst lot owner fittings and fixtures are covered under an owner's corporation's policy of building insurance, in my view, it would not be an insurable event if it was found that the reason a waterproof membrane failed is because it wasn't installed correctly in the first place by a lot owner. So your example of the tiler has penetrated the waterproof membrane, that's caused the problem some months down the track. Because we've got a bylaw in place, we've got a special resolution, we've got a record that this is work that the owner did 
The insurer is going to be on notice of all of that. The owner's corporation would have an obligation to tell them if the if the lot owner was trying to make a claim. And the insurer would just go, nah, this is not the kind of thing that we cover. This has arisen because of the lot owner's work and it is for the lot owner to go and separately pursue their own contractors under whatever warranties they have because of this failed waterproof membrane. Yeah. Okay, thanks. That makes sense. And I guess from our point of view, the next step is to, because most of these properties go to market straight after they're finished. Yeah. So is to sort of make sure that the new owner is aware that they need to, because I'm sure most people who buy a newly renovated apartment would have no clue that mm-hmm. they're buying the responsibility for the waterproofing. So true. And once again, that's why we have bylaws needed for this kind of work and special resolutions because the bylaw becomes the record of the work and the bylaw is registered on the title and anyone buying into a strata building should be inspecting all of those records of the owner's corporation and attached to their contract for sale when they're purchasing is a copy of all of the bylaws. Under state legislation, Not it's not our strata legislation, it's our Conveyancing Act, we are required to disclose all the bylaws for a strata scheme inside the contract. So the person purchasing should, with proper advice, and I think that's the real problem when people are purchasing in strata, not getting proper advice from a strata lawyer or from a conveyancer who understands strata, should be reading through all of those bylaws and just looking for anything that mentions their lot. They're buying lot number four. Is there anything in these bylaws that mentions lot number four? Oh, look at that. Bylaw number 25 refers to a bathroom renovation in lot number four. Oh, I better read that. And it will say the owner of lot number four, whoever that is from time to time, whoever that is today, whoever that is tomorrow, is responsible for this bathroom renovation, including the waterproof membrane, including all affected parts of the common property, including the tiles. So that owner's going in knowing, hopefully, that they are taking on that responsibility, which if they bought an original bathroom, if they bought lot number five, whose bathroom has never been touched and it's still our lovely 1960s and it's pink and blue and it's little mosaic tiles and it's gorgeous, (laughs) they are not responsible. The owner's corporation is responsible for original bathrooms. So being aware of what you're taking on absolutely is really, really important and you'll, you'll find that in the bylaws. Awesome. Thank you. That's really good clarification. Now, um, just jumping back, I, I meant to say this earlier. So when you say putting a wardrobe in is a minor renovation, you do actually have to fix them into the wall. It's cosmetic work under our New South Wales legislation. So it's not even minor. It is listed as cosmetic work section 109 of our Strata Schemes Management Act. If you want to have a look, it's got a list of cosmetic work. And the reason it's cosmetic is because since we got new legislation in 2016, new strata legislation, the legislative intent was to allow owners to be able to hang up paintings, put screws in walls, put nails in walls. I use those words because that's what the legislation uses. Uh, If they want to put up some decorative features and they shouldn't have to seek consent to do that. Previously, under our old legislation, any time you were penetrating a common property wall, you technically had to seek approval. So if you wanted to hang pictures, technically you had to seek approval. Mm. So you're right that even though we have built-in wardrobes that are going to be penetrating probably, in most cases, common walls, it is expressly listed as cosmetic work and not something that you need any approval for. Awesome. That's great. Okay, so another thing, so I'm getting all my little back issues (laughs) off here. I'm representing a whole community, so... Mm. So another thing is something that you can come up against when you're renovating an apartment is having to 
drain down the hot and cold water system in the building to do work on the plumbing. Mm-hmm. I've been in a situation where the building, the owners, uh, sorry, not the, the building management has actually said to me, no, you can't do that. You can't do that until we have an emergency. Okay. Requiring it to be drained down for some other reason. And is this, uh, not being a plumber, I'm not quite sure of this terminology, but is this just in practice a matter of turning off the water supply to all lots for a period of time? No, it's actually draining the building of the water. And how long does that take? A couple of hours. Okay. Oh, but from an, from an owner's per, or from a resident's perspective, is the plumber simply saying to everyone, oh, look, you're not going to have water between 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. and the water will be back on at 3 p.m.? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Happens all but, the time. Yeah, I know. But, yeah, <laughs> situation where when, it, when the building's being drained down, it's not just being turned off. Okay and a particular type of work and that they wouldn't approve it. And I wonder, is there additional risk to the building of damage to the plumbing or...? I'm thinking it might be more about the wasting of water now that I think about it. Hmm. Yeah, look, I have it's to tell you, I've been, I've been doing this for 16 years. I've never come across an objection. I, I've never come across the, the need to drain a building, I can tell you that. And not to say it hasn't been done. I've only been aware from the outside that there have been renovation works where uh, the plumber has said, look, we actually have to turn off the water supply or you won't have water residents for this period of time. And the residents just go, okay, we'll do it during business hours when I'm at work. Just make sure I can have my shower in the morning and I can have my dinner at night. And the important thing is to send, of course, notices to all residents so that they're well aware that that's going to happen and as much notice as possible so they can make other arrangements. But I would say as if there's no risk to damage to the plumbing or there's no other than water being off there's no real inconvenience to residents then I'd say that's a that's an unreasonable refusal if you are being prevented from completing your renovation because they won't uh, drain the building and of course being having to be very clear about what that involves I could see a good argument there for saying that that's just unreasonable especially if you the the owner are going to pay for all that your plumber's going to do it you're going to accept responsibility for any issues that might arise your plumber's going to be the one notifying all the residents doing all the work there's no downside to the owner's corporation I can't see how they'd have a basis for refusing that properly okay so back to the tribunal Yeah, unfortunately. And just be aware that when we're applying to the tribunal in New South Wales, there is a a mandatory mediation prerequisite. You do have to go to fair trading first and attempt to mediate the issue. Now, we might be getting into this, Bernadette, but I imagine with your clients and people who are, who are doing renovations, they want to move quickly because they bought this place, they want, to make, they want to renovate it, make some money on it and sell it again. This can really slow down the process. And I'm, I'm sure those in your community have experienced that. When you have a dispute with a body corporate, refusal to allow you to do certain work, I can sit here as a lawyer and say, oh, go to mediation, oh, go to the tribunal. That can delay you by months and months. And I, I can imagine that people who are buying and renovating for profit, if you like, are going to be losing money in that process. And I just say, you just it is something you just have to be aware of when you're buying into Strata that there is a risk that you could face this kind of delay. Yeah. And speaking of wait time, so one of the things... One of the things that's really changed the game in terms of sitting through those approval times, because that's that that's exactly right. We go into a, a, a strata building with the assumption that we are it is going to take a while to get the approvals and whatever we need. Mm. One of the things that we find really useful is being able to list that property on short-term rental. Uh-huh. 
because you know you know if you put a tenant in there you've got you don't have access to the property and also there you know yeah you, you've got a fixed term whereas if you put it on short-term rental you can take that out you know take them out really quickly and get moving once you've got approval now in the due diligence process like what we do to see to try and get some understanding of the buildings because we don't really want well you can't do it in a building that doesn't allow short-term rental mm-hmm. they, some buildings have bylaws is that correct of that's not, true yeah yeah yep. some buildings have bylaws that ban any short-term rental anything less than three months not permitted in the building yeah so it's three months yep. so there is, that's that's the standard yeah that's the uh, standard understanding of what a short-term rental is yeah so if you're so one of the things that like I think that's quite reasonable and it's fine to put someone in for three months. Mm. The thing is I always like the transactions to go through Airbnb because it's a much safer platform. Mm -hmm. Can the building deny you the right to use that particular platform? Because I know it's sort of a bit outlawed. Yeah, I don't believe that they can. And that is because we have a provision in our legislation in New South Wales that a building cannot pass a bylaw that restricts leasing. Okay. And I would, if I was arguing for you, the owner who wants to secure a long term or even a more than, let's call it more than three month tenancy via Airbnb. And there was a bylaw that said, you're allowed to have Uh, You're allowed to have tenants, obviously. You can't have anything less than three months. Okay. Well, we we do have some case law that says that they are probably allowed to say that. They're probably allowed to ban the short term. But if it went further and said, regardless of the length, you're not allowed to use Airbnb, I would be saying that is an impermissible restriction on leasing, on the, the way in which I lease my property. And that bylaw is invalid under the New South Wales legislation because bylaws cannot restrict leasing. Haven't had that one come up before. Be interested to see that one play out. But you're right, the bylaws is the place to look to make sure that you're up to date on what is and isn't allowed when it comes to short-term rentals. Be aware also, we have proposed new legislation in New South Wales that has been drafted and consented to or assented, that is the word to use, but it hasn't yet commenced. We're expecting it to commence really any day now. And it puts a new provision in our Strata Schemes Management Act that says owners' corporations can pass a bylaw that bans basically investor owners, owners where it's not their principal place of residence, from short-term letting. So there's been some uncertainty in our cases about this and the legislature's come in and said, well, we're going to clarify this and we're going to say, yes, you can ban investor owners from short-term letting, but you can't ban resident owners so where it's their principal place of residence you can't you can't ban short-term letting so you i could see that being important for your community bernadette both for people who are investors and people who are living in these properties and then wanting to rent them out so just be aware of that one and it's something that i'll be talking about when the legislation starts for sure i have to say we've sort of been on like part of our due diligence process is definitely to understand the building's attitude because, uh, you know, I personally don't want to be going into a building and wanting to do something that's going to, you know, upset the locals. Yep, got um, you. But actually I was at a property owner's briefing last night, the Pro- Property Owners Association, they were saying that basically there's no sign of it. Like it was, apparently it was due to come in in 2019 and then yeah. it was third until after the election then it got yep. 
2020. So, yes, presumably it will be quite close. Actually, the other thing that I heard last night, and you, you probably know something about this, is there's a new Strata Checker app coming in. Yeah, it's called the um, the Strata Portal and I have been involved. Uh, I know there's a rep from the Property Owners Association there as well. I've been involved in some roundtable discussions with the uh, New South Wales Minister, Victor Dominello. Very creative guy, introduced lots of great things since he's been the minister. But his latest idea is that we have a website that is basically a register available to the public where you can search by street address and obtain the details of the strata plan. So you can get the strata plan number, you can get the strata manager's name if they have one, the strata manager's contact details, the building manager's name if they have one and contact details. And you can find out a few easy, simple things about the strata plan. So are they residential? Are they commercial? Do they have a consolidated set of bylaws? We haven't got as far as being able to access the bylaws, unfortunately, but simple information and the most important one being a point of contact, I think, for the strata manager is going to be really important. That is going to be now publicly publicly available and it never has been before. Previously, you would have had to go to land registry services, search the titles, get the address for service. Maybe that's right, maybe it's not. And the minister is saying that they are going to, in time, legislate to make it mandatory for strata managers and strata buildings ultimately to submit this information every year to the state government so that the register can be updated and kept up to date. I, I was quite excited when I heard yeah. about from a due diligence point of view, it'll be quite handy too to be able to access yeah. that information. Now, sure. I know, so just a couple more things, actually just one or two. One, so strata approval does not negate the need to get council approval if it's required for the item. Yep, for sure. With Air conditioning units, so particularly around Surrey Hills, Redfern, when the split system, um, the con- compressor goes on to the balcony, anything that affects the external appearance of the property requires council approval. Mm-hmm. What's the deal with that? Because what I'm finding is, and I'm quite happy not to get council approval for it, but what I'm finding is that the strata deem themselves to be the authority on that and want the owners corporation. Yeah. Yeah. The the way I like to do it, and not all buildings agree to do it this way, but I think this is the proper way to do it, is that first you propose your bylaw. Bear in mind we're changing the external appearance, so you really should be putting forward a bylaw that uh, seeks permission to do the work. And in the bylaw, the, it contains terms that say this work will not commence until I have obtained all relevant approvals from all relevant authorities, including local council approval to the extent that may be required. That's a standard condition that I put in all of my bylaws. The bylaw goes before a meeting. The owners corporation says, oh, hang on a second. You know, you need to get council approval for this work. And you say, absolutely. And I intend to. And just check out clause 4.3 sub clause A2 that says, I am not actually allowed, even if you make this bylaw, I'm actually not allowed to commence this work until I've got that approval. So if I do, I'm in breach of the bylaw and owners corporation, you can go and enforce that bylaw against me. And you can even include terms in there if the owners corporation wants that says you must provide a copy of the council approval, a copy of the DA consent, whatever it is. So get your bylaw first, get your approval from the owners corporation first, and then you go to the council and lodge your development application. And you can do that saying, oh, council, by the way, I've already 
already got approval from my owner's corporation as well. Here's a copy of the registered bylaw. So I think that's the way to do it. Um, some owners' corporations say, no, go and get the council approval first and then come back to us and get the strata approval. That gets really messy because often the council will say to you, um, you are affecting the common property. The owner of the common property is the owners' corporation and the owners' corporation must therefore sign and seal the DA. And that holds up everything because the owners' corporation goes, Oh, you want me to sign and seal a DA? Well, we haven't approved anything. What's going on? This, if we sign this DA, are we approving the work? We're really confused. And we as lawyers say to them, signing and sealing a DA is not approval of the work. It is just a process to be followed to allow us to submit an application form to the council. It is not approval. We accept that we need a bylaw. We need a special resolution. But you want us to go to the council first, you've got to sign and seal the DA because we have no rights over the common property until we have this bylaw in place. So that doing it the other way around gets really messy. You end up with those discussions. That's why I always suggest that the bylaw is done first. And then the council, again, it depends what council you've got, how clever they are. You can then go to the council and say, I've got the bylaw that allows me to do it. This is the approval of the owner's corporation. I don't need them to sign and seal the DA. They've already said that they approve it because they've passed the bylaw and it just makes that process much smoother. A very good question, and I imagine you're that is one of your big challenges. That's very good advice because, yes, I've had that on a couple of occasions, and there's a lot of backwards and forwards before you actually get to what you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, actually, so the other thing around so balconies, so you know, often the balcony tiles are ugly and we want Mm -hmm. to tile over them or whatever. Now, I've seen this done without any approval. Not really sure how that sits in terms of the um, the requirement. Yeah. But the thing that concerns me about it is often when it's tiles over tiles, it actually raises the height of the balcony floor mm-hmm. and then means the balcony doesn't need meet the building code requirements. Yep. Now, I always say to our community, if you do this, you are making yourself liable for anything that might happen if someone went over that balcony, regardless of whether it was, you know, what the cause was, because you've done that. Is that correct? Uh, Yes. I, like you, would be telling people stay away from that. It is a very common complaint in strata schemes when there is a leaky balcony, and I don't know the, the technicalities of this, whether it's right or not, but where a balcony is leaking, if there's tile on tile, been installed that's often blamed for the leak um yes the balcony is leaking this is tile on tile at the top there's no the waterproof membrane the original waterproof membrane underneath all these tiles is old there's no other membrane in between the old and the new the reason this balcony is leaking is because this owner went ahead and put tiles on top of tiles now it's a good question about whether when we're doing tile on tile, we need any approval because if you remember, I said the surface of the floor is yours. You're not actually impacting any common property by affixing those tiles, but you are going to cause problems for yourself down the track. Not just uh, absolutely, yes, raising the, the height of the floor and lowering the height of the balustrade is a really serious issue. But if there's ever problems with the original membrane, you are going to be confusing the issue if you like because of your installation and you might say well it's an original membrane it's leaking because the owners corporation's membrane has failed 
the tribunal will not want to hear from you if they can see that you have laid tile on tile. It's one of those things that when we hear about it uh, as strata lawyers, we sort of go, oh, right, yep, tile on tile. No, we, we know what's happened here and you just you don't have a hope of winning that argument. Wow, that's awesome because that's another, that's really another argument for not doing it mm. uh, because, to be honest with you, I think their argument's pretty poor because yeah. the membrane is intact Mm. on the top's not going to make any difference. But. And the other thing I know some older buildings worry about is weight as well. Uh, how much weight are we putting on the slab here? So, you know, you might have a contractor that tells you, oh, it's all crap, it's fine, it's little, no, no problem, and if there's ever an issue with leaks, it won't be because of the tile on tile, it'll be the original membrane. But if the owners' corporation's got to go in and dig all of that out again, why they're going to be saying, why should we have to pay to do all of this? It's a whole other layer of tiles. It's another 10 grand for our guy to go in there and dig it out because of what you've done. Sorry, mate. We're not going to be responsible. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Okay, well, thank you for that. Now, just very last question. So in terms of bylaws, so if someone is needing to get a bylaw for their renovation, so they will, so let's assume they come to you, mm-hmm. you just give me an idea of sort of the time frame to expect that to take and the cost. Yeah, so sure. Renovation, they're ripping out the kitchen and the bathroom and yep. completely redoing can that they expect to yeah okay well there is a range if i am approached by an owner to do a bit what i call bespoke drafting for them they come to me and say amanda this is the work that i'm doing i say right uh, you need a, a first of all assessing whether you need a bylaw or not and only a, a strata lawyer should be making that assessment if i'm convinced that they do need a bylaw then i say i can prepare that for them i charge a thousand dollars for bespoke drafting and that is probably at the upper end of what strata lawyers are charging for drafting and i give you a motion to go on the meeting agenda i also communicate with your strata manager or your committee if you'd like me to to say i oh, I act for John. He's the owner of Lot 4. He's doing this work and he's a bylaw. Do let me know if you've got any questions or concerns. And I assist with any back and forth and any amendments that need to happen to that bylaw to make the committee happy that they can support it. The other way to go is that you can buy a template that you can then take yourself and fill in the blanks, if you like, and put that forward for you to your strata committee or your strata manager. And often that's just fine. They can see that it is a template that ticks all the boxes it's a fairly standard bathroom renovation and I have those templates for sale on my website for $147 and that's at yourstrataproperty.com.au so I always tell people they're your two extremes really you've got your DIY template $147 you might see some others floating around the internet but I I think they might be a little bit priced a little bit higher or you get your one-on-one lawyer which is me at up to a thousand dollars okay so and who's responsible for registering the bylaw Yeah, it depends on the strata manager, actually. Some strata managers, when the bylaw is passed at a meeting, special resolution, the strata manager will arrange the registration for you. Other strata managers will say, oh, it's been passed. It's now you, lot owner. It's your responsibility to do the registration. Be really clear about who is going to do that for you, whether you have to do it yourself or whether the strata manager is going to do it because you've only got six months from the time the bylaw is passed at a meeting to register that bylaw. Otherwise, it expires and you have to go back to a meeting 
and have it approved again, okay? The other thing that you need to be aware of is that the bylaw is not effective until it's registered. So technically, you don't have approval to do your work until the bylaw is registered. So if you are a hands-on owner, as I'm sure your community is, and you want to make sure you're moving quickly, I'd suggest as an owner, you say to the strata manager, I'll take care of the registration. At least then you're in control. You do need the original common property certificate of title. So the strata manager will have to produce that to you or produce it to your agent who's going to do the lodging for you. And you fill out a form through the LRS, Land Registry Services. You pay, I think it's about $140 registration fee and you get your bylaw registered. I always, if I'm acting for owners doing bylaws, uh, I always give them a quote to do the registration for them as well and have my team do that. If the strata manager is doing it, great. They will a good strata manager will make sure that they tell you how much that's going to cost for them to do it and they will charge that fee on to you, the lot owner, because uh, it shouldn't be the owner's corporation bearing the cost of registering your bylaw. Awesome. And just one more thing, because I suspect that you're going to have quite a few renovators heading your way. (laughs) What information should they be presenting you with for this Yeah, so if you want me to do bespoke drafting, all I need to know is a a written description, really, I ask for, of what what it is that you're doing. If you have a quote from a builder, from a contractor, an architect, a designer, then pass that on to me as well because they can they set out often very handily in dot points what it exactly what it is that they're doing in your property. And that's about it really, a description of the work. If there are plans, if we're doing extensive work, if we're removing internal walls, if we're extending out or enclosing balconies, plans, if you've got them, even if it's just a sketch plan at this stage, uh, are going to be important. And I mentioned they're removing internal walls. If there is any question that that wall might be a structural wall, then an engineer's letter, an engineer's certificate, an engineer's specification that says, what are we doing about supporting the structure if we are removing this internal wall? So they're the main things that I'm looking for because I just need to understand as a, as a strata lawyer, what parts of the common property are you affecting so that I can make a call about what kind of approval you need. And if it looks a little bit complicated to me, I might also ask you for a copy of your registered strata plan and a copy of your building's bylaws. So if you want to grab them off your strata manager first, then that's always handy as well. Well, thank you. So you're an absolute wealth of information. It's Mm -hmm. really um, refreshing because this, you know, this area can be quite messy, as you know. Yep. Yep. Um, Would you like to share, finally, one, how people can contact you, but also about your membership? Because I think that's quite a good facility for people that are doing a lot of renovating in strata buildings. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Bernadette. Uh, Well, the best way to find out more about me and what I do is to head over to my website at yourstrataproperty.com.au. You'll see I've got a free ebook there, which is telling you all about what I say is the number one thing that dramatically improves strata living. A little teaser, if you like, or a little sneak peek. Strata committees are incredibly important to good functioning strata buildings. So that ebook is there for you. And the membership. So I have been, uh, I've been running the podcast for about four years now and it was doing so well and I get so many great questions and lots of ideas from listeners about what else they wanted and they wanted to be able to contact me get my quick information very similar to what we've just done the last half an hour ask me questions that 
I know I can answer in two minutes, five minutes, but it solves such a massive problem for you. And so I set up the membership as a, an online forum, really, where members can log in, they can ask questions. Myself and my team of experts are there answering your questions about strata living and strata law. And Amanda, what section of the access I can do this? And my strata manager won't let me have access to the books and records. You know, what should I say to them in a letter? I log on, answer those questions. I find it really fun. And also we've developed resources over the years as well. So we have all of our webinars in there. We have our videos in there, eBooks, and of course, all the templates. So if you do head over and have a look at the bylaw templates, you'll see that they are for sale for $147, but all of our members get them absolutely free. So we update the template library about once every couple of months. We're throwing a new template in there and you'll see with the price of membership, it is far better to access the membership and get all of those resources, including the forum, than it is to be buying a one-off template. So, yeah, I'd love for your listeners to go over and check out the membership. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, oh, yes, I, I think it's amazing So and very unique, yes. So, well, thank you for being on the show and for your generosity. I know that it's going to be of huge value to our audience. My absolute pleasure. Thank you, Bernadette. Okay, so thanks for that. <laughs> no problem. Well, that's it for today. Now, if you haven't already, please head over and leave us a review so we can share the Reno love. See you then. You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love.